What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this on June 14th, a Wednesday. It has been two days since we saw the Denver Nuggets get crowned the 2023 NBA champions, their first uh, title in franchise history as they defeated the Miami Heat in five games, closing it out at home on Monday night. We're going to talk all things finals. I'm going to talk about um, the Nuggets and how they were able to win this series, where this playoff run stands in recent NBA history, where the Nuggets go going forward, and then we'll shift over to the Miami side of things to talk about the Heat, this historic run they went on, uh, why they fell up short, and where they go moving forward. But with that, let's get right into it. So since I last recorded, we saw Denver win all three games, uh, games three, four, and five to close it out in five at home. Um, Just to give a very quick recap on the last few games, games three and four had very strangely almost identical game scripts. After the first quarter, it was basically dead even. Then the Nuggets were up four or five points at halftime in both games. Um... Then Miami made a little bit of a push before Denver outscored them by exactly nine in both third quarters, actually. Um, And then they basically played even in both fourth quarters. Um, So they won those games by 15 and 13 points, respectively. So right around the same um, uh, margin of victory in both games as well. But game five was a little bit more fun, a lot more back and forth. Both teams started off a a little sloppy and and jittery, honestly. Um, Miami was going a lot heavier in the zone than they had the last few games, and it was actually pretty effective early for most of the game, at least. Uh, They were playing a bit higher up, trapping Jamal Murray more than they had, and they were going to live with guys like uh, Christian Brown and Bruce Brown shooting threes on the wing. Um, And honestly, a big storyline out of this one was the foul trouble early for Denver. So Jokic got two fouls in the first quarter. And that was after Aaron Gordon also already had two in the first quarter. So they ended up playing Jeff Green at center for a little bit. And that was a big momentum shifter. Bam definitely took advantage of that. He scored six straight points after Jokic came out and they had Green in at center. He got two and one. So then he ended up drawing two fouls on Jeff Green. So he had two. (laughs) They actually put DeAndre Jordan in at one point, which I'm sure they were not uh, planning on doing so at any point. But he actually wasn't that bad. He got a block shot. He made Bam settle for some more fadeaway jumpers rather than going to the basket, and he missed some shots at the basket. Um, But after an awful stretch for Miami where they actually missed 10 straight shots, Max Struess and Bam really kept the heat in the game early. Uh, They had 22 of the team's 24 points in the first quarter. Um, They were 9 for 15 and 1 for 1 from 3, whereas the rest of the team was 1 for 13 and had not made a 3-pointer. Only 2 points Uh, from the entire rest of the team in that first quarter. Uh, And honestly, the Nuggets did not play their game at all in the first half, at least what we're accustomed to seeing from them. They were 1 for 15 from 3 at halftime. They had 10 turnovers at half. Four players had two or more fouls. They were 3 for 8 from the free throw line, and they only had 44 points. But even with all that, they were only down 7 at halftime, which uh, you had to think they were seeing as a win on their end. I mean, they... I was thinking in half, they had a real opportunity just to turn things around, play how they normally play, and uh, just a little less sloppy and make some more shots, and they easily could still win this game. So 
It was also kind of a weird first half for Jokic. He didn't feel very involved offensively. He only had nine points and four assists. That's uh, well below to be on pace what his averages have been. He had zero offensive rebounds in the first half, zero free throw attempts, and he had three turnovers, which is definitely high for him for a half. But it was a very back-and-forth third quarter, and Jokic was a lot more aggressive coming out uh, in this quarter. In just the first five minutes of the half, he was 3-for-3 from the field, 8 points, 4 rebounds, 3 free throw attempts, um, and he finished the quarter with 9 points, 5 rebounds, uh, 5 free throw attempts, and no turnovers. Uh, Still not much of a playmaker in this game overall. He didn't have any assists in that third quarter. Um, But still, obviously, you could tell he was making more of a concerted effort to uh, be aggressive on that end. Um, on the Miami side, Kyle Lowry hit uh, a couple huge shots. Um, Caleb Martin gave them some some nice minutes in that quarter, and then Gabe Vincent finally got going a little bit after a really slow start. And with that, the Heat were up by one heading into the fourth quarter. Um, I do want to note that Spolster actually went away from playing Cody Zeller in that first half. Uh, they moved uh, Kevin Love to the five, which is one of the things that I had said they should try. Um, on my last podcast episode, just because the Zeller minutes have not been very good for them. Um, but in this fourth quarter, they did go back to it. Uh, they started the fourth quarter with Zeller in since Jokic started the fourth as well. They wanted to match the size. And it was an awful result. <laughs> um, he came in for literally one minute, was late on a Jokic rotation, immediately botched a layup put back. Um, and they were minus five in that one minute he played. Uh, before Spolstra called timeout and yanked him. <laughs> he had seen all he needed to see. Um, but honestly, the story here was just that Miami's offense was abysmal in the second half. They started the fourth quarter 2-for-14 from the field. Bam missed some very makeable close shots. He was only 1-for-7 in the second half after a really, really good first half from him offensively. Butler was pretty awful all game until the very end. He started 2-for-13. He was passing up shots near the rim and in the close mid-range that he'd been taking all playoffs long. And when he was taking shots, they were bad shots. Um, it's just not the kind of good looks we're used to him getting. Overall, as a team, they only had 38 points in the second half. They were 14 for 47 from the field. That is below 30%. And they were only 5 for 20 from 3, so that's 20%. Jokic and Murray were 12 for 18 alone in the second half, so they made only two less shots than the entire Miami team uh, and took basically 30 less attempts to do it. And they were just asking way too much of Lowry and the other role players in this one. Uh, their offense was felt like it was mostly just Lowry dribbling around and finding some shooters uh, who were forced to try and create shots. Um, and it just wasn't working because Denver can guard those guys off the dribble pretty easily. Um, and their defense did ramp up, certainly, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, but just looking at the final plays down the stretch, Butler did finally get going. He actually went on a personal 13 to five run, scoring all 13 of those points for Miami. He makes back to back threes, then gets fouled on a three as well. So three free throws there. Um, and that cut it to one point. That was also kind of a bad call. Um, I, (laughs) it looked like he kicked his leg out of that normally gets called offensive, I'd say, but especially not a defensive foul. I mean, Gordon basically didn't even move it. I don't even know what he's supposed to do in that scenario, but, um, but then Jimmy hits, uh, another close mid range shot and they actually take a one point lead. Um, Jokic then puts them back up by one on a mismatch drive to the basket. 
Then Jimmy gets fouled going to the basket again and puts them back up one point. Um, so only a few minutes left. Heater up one. Murray takes a pretty bad shot, but then there's an offensive putback from Bruce Brown. So they go up one. Then they get a decent look with Max Drews shooting in the corner, but he misses. Um, Jokic then misses a floater as well. Um, but then Butler got caught in the paint, um, picking up his dribble and had a really, really, really bad turnover through right to KCP. That just can't happen in that situation. Uh, they end up having to foul given the, the game clock. KCP makes both free throws. Um, he called timeout. And then Butler on the next possession, even though there's 18 seconds left, they easily could have went for a, a quick two and foul again. Butler takes a very bad forced miss three-pointer, not even particularly close. Um, they really didn't need a three there, but um, they just couldn't get anything going. There was no ball movement. Nobody was uh, cutting. Everyone kind of standing around. So um, that pretty much iced the game. Uh, Bruce Brown got fouled, made both free throws. They went up five. Um, Heat missed again and uh, elected not to foul after that. So the Nuggets win this game, and they win the series in five. Jokic finished with 28 and 16 on an absurd 12 of 16 from the field. Um, Michael Porter Jr. actually had a really impactful game in this one. He was their uh, second leading scorer with 16 points, but also he had 13 rebounds as well as a few offensive rebounds. He had three assists, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually kind of a lot for him. Uh, it's not exactly his forte, but uh, he was pushing the ball really well in transition. I thought it um, led to some good shots on their end. Um, both him shooting transition as well as getting shots for others. Um, and he was taking the ball to the basket a lot more instead of settling for jump shots. So, But honestly, most importantly, we saw him try to actually make an impact somewhere other than shooting uh, when he was struggling from outside. And we hadn't really seen him do much of that in other games. And that's why he was losing minutes down the stretch in, in a few of these uh, previous games. And the Nuggets defense was really good down the stretch. They forced Miami into a lot of really tough shots. They were making their role players have to shot create, uh, which is not their strong suit. Um, but yeah, with that, Denver wins in five. It's actually exactly what I predicted. I said Denver in five before the series. Um, I said that they would win easily. It could have easily been a sweep, which is how it played out. They easily could have won game two. They only lost by three. But I did give the Heat one game out of respect for Spolstra and Jimmy Butler. Um, and that's exactly what happened. They did end up stealing that one game, so... Um, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit for that one because I predicted it basically exactly. But as far as the series overall, I honestly didn't really think Denver even made that many adjustments, and I didn't even think they needed to make many adjustments. I mean, probably their biggest adjustment from the Game 2 loss was just playing harder and guarding the three-point line better. I mean, Miami was getting a lot of easy three-point looks, and by the end of the series, that really wasn't the case. Um and so I don't want to oversimplify it, but sometimes it is just kind of simple. Um, they had a huge talent advantage here, and all they needed to do was just play their game, play how they normally play. And if they played how they know how to play and they played hard, then they were going to win. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. The one game where they really didn't play that hard was game two, and it showed. And that was the game they lost. Even the game five, the closeout game. It's not that they weren't playing hard. They were just a little jittery. And by the end, they were starting to get their footing a little bit, and they were able to come back and actually win, beat Miami in that game too. But the bench guys for Denver played really well on this one uh, as well. Bruce Brown had a really nice series. He had double-digit points in four out of the five games, including a 21-point game in game four where he shot eight for 11. 
And he was such a great six man for them all season long. Uh, just and consistently solid all playoffs long as well. Uh, Christian Brown uh, actually gave them some really good spot minutes as well. He was out of the rotation by the end of the Lakers series, but he shot 71% from the field in this series. Obviously, not doing a lot of like uh, long-range shots or shots that require him to shot create, but still, uh, he is showed off how well of an off-ball player he is. He's a, an elite cutter. Um, and he's really good at pushing the ball in transition as well. Good finisher around the basket. Um, and that was on full display in game three when he had 15 points in only 19 minutes in that one. On the other hand, KCP and Michael Porter Jr. actually really struggled shooting in this series. KCP was 5 for 19 from 3 for the series. That's only 26%. And he was only 36% from the field overall. And then Michael Porter Jr. was even worse. I mean, he was four for 28 from three, which is 14% for the series. Uh, He shot below 33% from the field overall. He averaged single digit points. And this is a guy that they gave max money um, to basically be a scorer. (laughs) So that's kind of his forte. Um, But he had games of five for 16, two for eight, one for seven. His best three point shooting game was one for six. Uh, and he was benched in crunch time in a lot of these games. Uh, but I will say it was really mostly for defensive purposes. He had some lapses in some of the earlier games. I don't really think Malone was benching him because of the shooting struggles. But regardless, he didn't shoot well. So I'm sure that wasn't adding to um, his case for getting more playing time. Um, but they were able to su- survive this because Miami also had guys struggling from three on their end. Um And so it evened out, and KCP was still very impactful defensively. He had a lot of blocks and steals in this uh, series. Um, And even by the end of the series, MPJ started finding other ways to impact the game, like I mentioned, rebounding, pushing in transition. So uh, they found ways to have impacts, uh, and because of both sides having some guys that were struggling, they were able to kind of offset the, the poor shooting performances there. Aaron Gordon, on the other hand, he was awesome in this series. He really set the tone in the first quarter of game one, finished with 16 points on 7-10 shooting in that game. He had pretty solid uh, game two and threes before a huge game four. He had 27 points on 11 for 15 in that one, totally dominating in the paint. And he finished the series shooting 60% from the field and 55% from three. Uh, And that's even with a one for six game in game five. He was also just awesome guarding Jimmy Butler. Clearly, his size gave him some fits on that end of the floor. Uh, And he's been their go-to defensive stopper pretty much all season and all playoffs as well. And it's funny. I thought of this comparison that he had a really similar playoff run to Andrew Wiggins last year. Both of them were talented, high draft picks, uh, drafted to bad teams, not always thought of as super high IQ guys taking bad shots at times, not always fully engaged on the defensive end. Uh, And they were playing in a role that was probably too big for them. And then they get traded to a team with a a generational talent, well-run organizations. And so they find a new role where they can focus on the little things more, defense, rebounding, uh, just making sure they're making the right play. And also just the, the gravity that both Jokic and Steph give for their teammates. It, it just opens up everything for both of them offensively. Uh, and so it was a really comparable playoff run for both of them, in my opinion. 
and just great reclamation projects overall. And it, it it's kind of cool to see just that you can, I'm sure there's other guys out there in the league right now that are on similar paths to Gordon in Orlando and Wiggins in Minnesota that uh, and other teams are probably looking at and saying, Hey, let's bring him in and we can turn him into a, a winning player. Just like, uh, Golden State and Denver did with Wiggins and Aaron Gordon. Jamal Murray was pretty inconsistent shooting in this series. He did have a great game one and game three. He had 26 and 34 points respectively in those games, shooting 50% or better in both of them. But he was actually held under 20 points in the other three games, including a 5 for 17 shooting game in game four and a 6 for 15 game in game five. But with all that being said, he had by far the best playmaking stretch of his career. He had 10-plus assists in all four of the first four games, and then he had eight assists in Game 5, so he averaged 10 assists even for the series. And just to put that into perspective for him, this is not the norm. He didn't have a single 10-assist game uh, the entire playoffs before the series, and this is pretty remarkable, but... He was drafted in 2016, and he's only had 13 games with 10 assists in his entire regular season career, um, <laughs> which is just remarkable. Um, and six of those were this season, and he had four in this series. So coming into this year, he had seven 10 assist games in his career, and he had more than half of that just in this series with four. Um, and I think people don't realize how much of a leap Murray has really made in these playoffs. He's a zero-time All-Star, and I know I've heard people talk about how he's, like, they compare him to the Donovan Mitchells, even the Devin Bookers of the world over the past two seasons. But honestly, that's a pretty ridiculous thing in the past. Um, he is a zero-time All-Star, and he should be a zero-time All-Star. In his career, he's actually only averaged above 20 points per game one time ever. And that was uh, a season in which he only played 48 games, and he was only at 21 a game. He's only averaged five assists one time, and that was this season. So coming into this year, he never even averaged five assists as a starting point guard in the NBA, which is pretty hard to do. He's never averaged five rebounds before, and he has as many years shooting below 35% from three as he does shooting 38% or better. So he's been very mixed results from uh, three-point range throughout his career. He's been a total negative as a facilitator from the point guard position, and he hasn't really been much of a volume scorer. He's been a below-average player from a true shooting percentage perspective since he came into the league. He's a negative player from a net rating perspective for his career, and he's only had one season with a positive net rating. So overall, he's been a fine player, but... I wouldn't even say fringe all-star guy based on his regular season performances. But in these playoffs, he averaged 26 a game, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, a steal and a half. He shot 47% from the field, 40% from three, 93% from the line. He was a plus 9 net rating, a 59% true shooting, which is above league average. He actually had above average defense analytics as well. Um, and he basically played at a first or second team all NBA level. So it's a huge leap. He went from a not even fringe all-star guy to an all NBA type performance in these playoffs. And he did a, a similar thing when he was in the bubble. So basically this is two straight, uh, playoff runs. We've seen this out of him and I really would like to see him play at least somewhat close to this in the regular season before we just 
say he's an all-star caliber player. Um, and it's honestly just strange for a guy to not even play at that level ever in the regular season, but then have multiple all-NBA level playoff performances. Um, obviously, playoffs do matter more. So I think this does elevate him overall in this grand, grand scheme of things. I think next year, if the Nuggets get off to a hot start, he'll garner more respect because he's done this in the playoffs before. So even if he's around his regular averages of like 22 a game, let's say he bumps his assists up to seven or eight, I think he'll definitely get some all-star looks. Um, but I think that's really just going to be based most off his playoff reputation more so than performance, unless he takes some leap. Hey, for all we know, he could average 24, 25 next year. I wouldn't be surprised, but we haven't seen that. So this idea that Murray's been underrated in his career is actually not really true. He just has really, really stepped it up in the big moments, but much rather that than the other way around. So kudos to him definitely uh, for his performance this playoffs, but also just uh, his playoff performance throughout his entire career. But obviously, the main reason Denver is even in this position and the main reason that they won this series was because Nikola Jokic. He was absolutely masterful, not only in this series, not only in this playoff run, but this whole season, the past three seasons in particular, um, in this series, he averaged 30, 14, and 7. He shot 58% from the field, 42% from three, 84% from the line. He had the first 30-20-10 game in NBA Finals history, became the first player to ever lead a postseason in points, rebounds, and assists. He had the most triple doubles in a playoff run ever with 10. He's the first center to win Finals MVP since Shaq back in 2002. He's the first center to lead the playoffs in assists per game since Wilt back in 1967. And he joins Moses Malone, Wilt, and Kareem as the only centers in NBA history with two or more regular season MVPs and a finals MVP. Overall, in these playoffs, he averaged a absurd 30 points per game, 13.5 rebounds, 9.5 assists, a steal, and a block. So not quite a triple-double, but only a few assists short. He shot 55% from the field, 46% from three, which is a huge bump up from the regular season for him, and then 80% from the line. All four series, he had at least 26 points per game, at least 12 rebounds per game, at least seven assists per game, and shot above 40% from three in all of them. He led the playoffs in, as I said, total points, total rebounds, total assists, player efficiency rating, win shares, offensive win shares, box plus minus, value over replacement player. I mean, he just was... <laughs> There's no way around it. The best player in the playoffs, playing like the best player in the world. And I talked a lot preseason about Giannis maybe working his way into the top 20 all-time range. And I think with this ring, Jokic is now kind of in that same conversation. Uh, it's pretty funny with Giannis and Jokic. If you actually look since uh, 2019, so the past five years, basically, they both have exactly two MVPs. They both have exactly one finals MVP. In that five-year stretch, they both have made all five all-star teams. They've made all five all-NBA teams. They both have exactly one championship. And if you look at their four playoff exits, they're actually all identical as well. They both made the conference finals one time, a little earlier than maybe you'd expect from them, and then they lost to the eventual champion. They both have a second-round loss as a three-seed, losing to a two-seed. 
They both have a second round loss as a two seed, losing to a three seed. And they both have a first round loss to a team that they uh, that went on to make the finals. So they have basically identical five-year resumes. And you could argue Giannis probably should have won one more MVP. And you could argue Jokic probably should have won one more MVP. Um, so it, it's, it's pretty cool. This could actually be a really, really fun rivalry if they ever met in the finals. Um, hopefully we do get to see that at, at some point. But it seems like the, the league's headed towards those two guys kind of being the, the head of or the face of the league. And I think there's really no other option for best player in the world right now. It's got to be one of these two guys. I think most people are going to say Jokic right now. A lot of that probably is recency bias. I personally will say Jokic right now as well. I think Giannis's offensive limitations were a little shocking these playoffs. Um, and I know that Giannis is a way better defender. But at the same time, offense does matter more than defense in this league. That's just how it goes. Um, and Jokic certainly is not some huge liability on that end. At least he showed that in the playoffs. And he's only 28 now. And so there's no reason to think that these totals won't continue to increase. Uh, I think he he definitely has the kind of centerpiece accolades, like the MVPs. He's got a ring. But he's still a little short in terms of like longevity totals, for example. He's still only five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. A lot of the guys in the top 20 range are in that 10 range for like 10 All-Stars, 10 All-NBAs. But he's 28, so I think that he'll probably work his way up into that. And he does need to add in terms of longevity and totals with those accolades. And look, I'd say right now he's at least in the top 20, top 25 range in the conversation with Giannis, like I said, with Dirk, Kevin Garnett, Barkley, uh, David Robinson, those th- that kind of group of players. I think he certainly has worked his way into there now, and he's got the luxury of being able to add to his total accolades and legacy and move up. And I think that if he does get – let's if he gets one more ring or – Gets up to 10 All-Stars, 10 All-NBAs. I think he's got a real chance to creep up into the top 15 if he can do that. But from the Nuggets' perspective as a team overall, they were a very, very worthy champion. They took over the one seed in the West on December 20th, which was 30 games in, and they never relinquished it the rest of the entire season. And Memphis was a little close at some points, but... Once Ja went out and they they struggled a bit, it really wasn't a close race for that one seed. And people often say that you have to take your playoff battle scars before you can win the whole thing. And this team really has. I mean, this is their fifth straight um, appearance as a top six seed in the playoffs. In that span, they've lost a game seven at home. They've been swept. They've blown a 3-2 lead. They've suffered some serious setbacks injury wise but during that span they've also come back from 3-1 two times they've won three game sevens they've made a western conference finals and then this year everything aligned perfectly for them to make their run they had the best player in the league a top 25 player all time in his prime they had a co-star that peaks at the right time and was playing at an all-nba level they had four to five very very high-level role players that all know their role, accept their role, and star in that role perfectly. 
And no one is going to look back and think this was any sort of fluke here or anything like that. The Nuggets fit the championship profile from a historic standpoint, and they really deserved it. And not only were they great all year, but they were arguably even more impressive in the playoffs. So historically, you could argue this was an all-time dominant postseason run from them. They only lost four times in the entire playoffs with a 16-4 and record. And in 1984, the NBA playoffs expanded to 16 teams. And in that span, only eight teams have had a better playoff record than they did. So three losses or less. And those teams are the Larry Bird Celtics, the Magic and Kareem Showtime Lakers, the Bad Boy Pistons with Isaiah Thomas, the Michael Jordan Bulls did it two times, uh, the Duncan San Antonio Spurs, the Shaq Kobe Lakers, and the Kevin Durant Warriors. Um, And in that span, only Kevin Durant and the Warriors have had a better uh, record since the first round expanded to seven games in 2003. So those are all basically a list of every dynasty in the modern era, (laughs) with the Pistons maybe being the only exception to that, but they did win multiple rings. So they basically line up with all of the all-time teams in terms of how dominant their run was in this playoffs. And maybe just as impressive as their record was who they beat. You could argue that they beat the best duo in basketball in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. You could argue that they beat the best player of all time in LeBron James, or at least a top two player all time with a a, a second all-star next to him in Anthony Davis. And you could argue that they beat the best coach in basketball in Eric Spolstra. So I know that they played um, two eight seeds and a seven seed, but they were not your average eight seed and seven seed. At least the Lakers and Heat weren't from a historical standpoint. They beat multiple Hall of Fame players, most of which are in their prime, as well as one of the greatest coaches of all time. So this was a just super impressive run from them and we'll see if they can turn this into some sort of multi-year run like the other teams that had a dominant performance like this but regardless insanely impressive I mean you heard those teams that they're going to be compared to in terms of the all-time postseason run and they are all dynastic teams and looking forward the Nuggets They have their entire starting lineup under contract for at least two more years, assuming KCP picks up his player option. Uh, Their top four are all 28 or younger. Christian Brown still has three more years left on his rookie deal. They'll probably look to re-sign Bruce Brown. So they essentially have the opportunity to bring back their entire top seven players for the next two years, depending what they do with KCP and Bruce Brown for the next two seasons. So they're built for sustained success, and there's no doubt that they should be favorites in the West next year and probably the whole thing. Uh, And the odds did come out yesterday and said that they are the favorites to win the whole thing next year, and rightfully so. But for their roster next year, I don't think they need to make any big moves. I know sometimes, like last year when the Celtics lost, I thought they definitely need to make some moves. Um, I thought the Warriors probably would have been well served to make some moves even though they won it. But I don't really think the Nuggets need to make any big moves these playoffs or this offseason. I would bring back Bruce Brown um, and see if you can get someone decent for the taxpayer mid-level exception, which they do have available to them. And then just continue their formula of adding guys for the margins in the draft like they have been. 
Um, they've done a really good job of this. Uh, obviously, the, most of their team is homegrown, but even in recent years with some of the role guys, Christian Brown this past year obviously had a huge impact on this team. He was a late first-round pick. And then they even had uh, Peyton Watson, who I thought showed some nice flashes this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he turned into a regular rotation guy for them next year. And then they still have first-round picks in three of the next four years, so they should have an opportunity to um, add in that same fashion. But with that said, I think we do need to pump the brakes on the dynasty talk. I've seen some media members talking about that. And look, they are set up really well moving forward, but it is really, really hard to win a ring, especially multiple rings. I'm sure if you think back, a lot of people thought similar things for the Bucks when they won it in 2021 uh, or the Lakers in 2020. Both of them were favorites coming to the next season. Both of them still had their... Uh, main star players and core returning. Um, and since then, the Lakers have failed to get out of the first round two of the past three years, and the Bucks have not made a conference final since. And so a lot of championships require luck in terms of matchups, injuries, and just having things clicking at the right time. And look, the Nuggets are, are no different with that this year. They were super healthy all year long, didn't have any even nagging injuries throughout the playoffs. They didn't have to face Boston or Milwaukee in the finals. I think they probably would have beaten uh, definitely Boston, probably Milwaukee. But still, they, it would have been a, a tougher challenge for them for sure. They also peaked defensively at the right time after being very mediocre there all year long. And Murray ascended at the perfect time. If he plays like he does in the regular season, they don't win this title. It's just That's just how it is. And look, do I know for sure that all these things will happen again next year? No, I don't. Maybe the Celtics will benefit greatly from a real coaching staff and finally get over the hump. Maybe the Bucks are fully healthy and their coaching change makes a real difference come playoff time. Maybe Miami adds another star and now they have the talent to actually match up with the best teams in the league. Maybe the Suns are finally able to fill out their roster with some depth and they'll benefit greatly from a whole training camp and offseason with the same group. Or maybe Denver has another injury that derails them. So there's a lot of things that can happen in the span of a season and there's just so many factors and so I could definitely see this I could see this being the only ring that they get I'm not saying that I predicting that um, I could see them getting another as well but most times unless you have some dynastic team you only get one you get your chance you take advantage of it they did props to them for doing that um, but I would say two things can be true Denver should be the favorite next year but the odds should also be better that they don't win a ring than they do. There's just a lot of teams that are going to look to add guys. There's injury variability every single year. So you just really never know. And it is just so, so hard to win a ring. And it's really rare to rattle off a bunch in a row, um, especially when you've only got one proven perennial all-star guy on their roster like the Nuggets do. But moving over to the Miami side of things, they were not good in this series as a team. They shot only 40.7% from the field as a whole team. They were 34% from three. And look, that's just not good enough to beat a team that gets as good a looks as Denver does consistently. Um, they did not get to the line very much in this series either. They averaged seven less free throw attempts per game than Denver did. The first three rounds, they were at 21 free throw attempts per game. In the finals, they were only at 15 so that's six extra uh, free throws they were leaving on the board, and they're actually one of the best free throw 
shooting teams percentage-wise in the whole league. And so that really could have closed the scoring gap. That's basically leaving about five points a game on the board from the other uh, series that they played. And that 15 attempts actually would have been lowest for any team in, in the whole playoffs if you span that out over the playoffs. They also just had no answer at all for Jokic. I know nobody really does, but uh, he was pretty much able to do whatever he wanted in this series. And their top three role guys, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Max Struess, who had all been great throughout the playoffs, shot about as poorly as you could have for an entire series collectively. Gabe Vincent averaged 16 a game in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. That was down to 11 in this series. He shot 38% from the field and 33% from three after shooting 49% in the Conference Finals and 52% from three in the Eastern Conference Finals. Max Struess was... Just abysmal. Six for 32 overall from three in this series. That's 19%. He only shot 23% from the field overall. And in the conference finals, he wasn't phenomenal, but he was competent. I mean, 42% from the field and 34% from three. That's at least respectable. The other ones are just unplayably bad. His points dropped to six points per game in this series. And then Caleb Martin, who (laughs) was arguably the Heat's best player, in the conference finals, averaged 19 points a game. That fell all the way to seven in this series. He was shooting 60% and 49% from three in the conference finals, and those were down to 38% from the field overall and 33% from three. So collectively, these guys all shot below 40%. Um, they were hovering around 30% from three collectively, and all of their points per – I mean – they basically left, what, 20 points per game on the board from where they were scoring in the conference finals. And they're just not going to be able to win that way. I mean, outside of Butler and Bam, these are the next three most important guys on this team, um, and Lowry as well, but they just need to make more shots. Meanwhile, Duncan Robinson, Kevin Love, and Lowry actually did shoot the ball pretty well. Robinson was 43% from three. Love was 40% from three. Robinson and Love were seventh and eighth on the team in minutes, though. And Love didn't even play in game one, so their volume was just too low for these guys to have much of an impact. Even though they were shooting pretty well, that shooting is not going to swing the series when you look at uh, there's six guys ahead of them getting more minutes, and those guys weren't making shots. You just don't win a series because your seventh and eighth men are shooting well because if your top six guys aren't, it's it's just not going to make a difference. And even with Lowry playing mostly well in this series – these guys just can't carry you. They, they're they complementary players to the Stars. And similarly, the Nuggets role players playing well would not have mattered if Jokic and Murray didn't play well in this series, but they did. So they can take some variability there. Whereas with the Heat, when your Stars aren't playing particularly well, then the role players have no margin for error if you want any chance of winning, especially against a team that is more talent than you do. So Bam was pretty easily the best player for the Heat in this series, in my opinion. Um, they completely fell apart when he would sit. I mean, a lot of that is just because I don't think Cody Zeller is an actual NBA caliber backup center, let alone uh, for an NBA Finals team. Um, but he, uh, Bam averaged 22-12-3. He led the team in scoring and rebounding. And while he did put together some really almost dominant stretches, he was still not a very consistent go-to offensive option in this 
His efficiency was not very good. He was 46% from the field overall. He had a 7-for-21 game. He had an 8-for-19 game. In the elimination game, he started hot, but he finished 1-for-7 in the second half. Even in his 26-point game one, it took him 25 shots to get there. And his field goal percentage in the playoffs overall fell. Uh, it was 54% the regular season, and he's a 55% for his career, down to 48% um, in the playoffs, which doesn't sound awful, but that's a 6% dip. And this is a 5'9", five, 5'10 five, five, guy that doesn't shoot threes, and he pretty much only shoots shots in the paint. So you want 50% or more consistently at a minimum from a guy with his shot profile. And I just felt like he settled way too much for short jump shots, not just in this series, but for most of the playoffs. He honestly is just not a great mid-range shooter. He doesn't have great touch. Um, and he missed a lot of makeable layups too. But he better things happened when he was aggressive going to the rim, but teams were playing him to kind of take that mid-range shot. And he was feeding right into it by taking it. <laughs> um, and look, Bam is a really nice player. I like him a lot. Uh, he's always been very impactful in the playoffs. Um, he's been a winning player. And he would have some hot quarters or halves, but ultimately he's just not a number one option type player, especially on a championship team. And unfortunately, he kind of had to be because Jimmy was just a massive, massive disappointment in this series. He averaged only 22 a game, 6-5 and five to go along with it, 41% from the field, 37% from three is good for him, but um, the two-point percentages was just bad. His points, rebounds, field goal percentage were all down from the regular season. Field goal percentage was way down. He had games of 6 for 14, 7 for 19. In the elimination game, he was 5 for 18, but that doesn't even tell the full story because he started 2 for 13, had a completely awful turnover that basically sealed the game and the series, and then he took a totally ill-advised uh, three-pointer to try to tie the game that actually did seal the game and the series. He only had one game where he even shot 20 field goals, um, and he wasn't getting the line as much. In the first three rounds, he averaged nine free throws a game. Regular season was close to nine free throws a game. In the finals, he was down to only six, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's three full points given how well of a, a free throw shooter he is. And this idea that Jimmy Butler had some historic, amazing playoff run is actually pretty inaccurate. He had one amazing series. Don't get me wrong. He was spectacular against the Bucks. He averaged 38, 6, and 5, shot 60% from the field, 44% from 3, and he shot nearly 10 free throws a game. But after that, he had three really inefficient volume scoring series. Um, the next three series combined, he was under 24 points per game, and only shot 42% from the field and 31% from three. And his free throws attempts dropped a few as well. And that's not skewed down by one awful series. He was 43% from the field in the second round, 42% in the Eastern Conference Finals, and 41% in the finals. And he was under 25 points per game in all three rounds. So overall in the playoffs, his field goal percentage dropped 7% from what it was in the regular season. Um, and I'm not trying to take away from how spectacular he was in round one. He had a one of the greatest series I've ever seen, especially when you consider who they beat and the upset that they had. And look, it was a good playoff run by him overall. I'm not saying it was bad. He 
had a good run. His his final stats end up looking pretty good. It was 26, 27-ish points per game. Uh, and he shot a, a, a fine percentage from the field. I think it was like 46, 47 from the field. But he did not carry this team to the finals. He played his normal ability for the most part with slightly less efficiency. Um, and he had extremely timely and uncharacteristic big performances out of his role player teammates. Um, so I, I honestly think the way the rest of the team played had a much bigger impact on them actually making the finals because after that first round, Jimmy was human, very human. He was nothing amazing. Um, and so with all that said, I do think we need to pump the brakes on the elevation of him into this top five player. And I even don't want to put him too far into the top 10 because we already know that he's a lesser player than what he shows in the playoffs in the regular season. And we really only saw one totally elite playoff series out of him. The rest of them, he didn't shoot the ball well. And whether that was because he's banged up, he said that he's not blaming anything on the ankle. He said it's not an issue. It's not bothering him. So I'm going to take his word for that. I know maybe he's trying to just not make excuses, but regardless, what what are we supposed to say? Not trust him or believe him on that? So great run from him overall. I'm just saying that it's a little overblown in terms of how much he carried this team. He did not really carry them. He carried them in one series, and then he played fine to pretty well in the rest of the series where – his teammates really stepped up. And then in this series where his teammates finally didn't step up, that's when they lost. So it showed that like they, they either needed him to be otherworldly like he was in round one, or they needed his role players to really step up like they did in the second and third round. And there was really no other way for them to win besides one of those two things happening. When they both happened, they won easily. But when neither happened, they just didn't have the talent to hang with these top-tier playoff teams. And so ultimately, that talent discrepancy was just too big for them to overcome. I mean, they had no answer for Jokic, like I said. Their stars didn't play like stars consistently when it mattered. Their role players missed just way too many makeable shots. And Denver was just too damn good. Um, I, I, I don't want to understate how impressive this run was as a team overall. And look, they knocked off the two favorites to win it all coming into the playoffs in the Celtics and Bucks. And I'm pretty sure that the Celtics, Bucks, and Nuggets were favored in literally every single game out of their respective series. And the Heat still went 9-8 and eight in those series. They won more than half the games, despite being the underdog in all nine of their wins. They had seven double-digit comeback wins out of their 13. That's more than half their games they ended up coming back to win. But unfortunately for them, they did finish the run losing seven out of their last nine games, which you just can't sustain that in the playoffs. And their offense really started to look how it did in the regular season when they were dead last in shooting and dead last in scoring. But, I mean, they have now made two finals in four years, and they were one shot away from three finals in four years. And moving forward with their roster, Butler, Bam, and Harrow are all under contract for three more years at least. Bam and Jimmy, both at max money, and then Harrow's at around $30 million. Lowry and Martin both have one year left. Um, Lowry's vastly overpaid, and Martin's vastly underpaid. They have Struess, Vincent, and Love as unrestricted free agents this summer. And Duncan Robinson also has three years left. So, obviously, they could look to bring back probably Struess and Vincent 
And they could basically have the same main group locked out for the next two, three more playoff runs. They also have the taxpayer mid-level exception to offer, and they have all of their picks except for um, their 2025 first going to OKC. But I just think this team has maxed out, and they have reached their ceiling. A team with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and a bunch of role players has just not been good enough. It's a fun group. They've done far more than anyone could have expected when they signed Jimmy back in 2019. Bam wasn't even an all-star yet. Harrow, I think that was the year they drafted him. And Jimmy, look, he he had been a a nice player, a perennial all-star, but not a guy that could carry you in the playoffs like this. But we've seen it run its course. They're just not good enough right now. And look, they could run it back, maybe be a, a top six seed again, maybe make another Eastern Conference Finals run if things break their way like they did this year. But in my opinion, they need to add another star. And if I'm them, I'm doing everything in my power to go all in on Damian Lillard. I think it's likely would be a picks-centered package with Hero. So um, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson's contracts together actually match perfectly with Dames. They could sub in Lowry if they preferred, but they need to get uh, another mid-contract back from the Blazers. And look, they could throw in uh, Nikola Jovic if the Blazers want another cheap young guy. And then they could trade three firsts in the trade. They could do a swap as well if they needed. But I would do it at that cost in a heartbeat if I'm them. I, I think that it would make them instant contenders, not just final contenders, but legit championship contenders. I mean, they just made this run without Tyler Hero anyway. So they're basically adding Dane to a finals team and giving up just your sixth, seventh, or eighth man in, in return. Um, and so I think that would be a phenomenal fit. I think Dane would fit the Heat culture really well. I think it's exactly what they need, just another dynamic scorer. Butler can focus less on being the go-to guy, less pressure on him. Bam can slide over as the third option, which I think is his ideal option um, if you're looking at true roster construction there. Um, and look, I don't know if it'll be Dame or someone else. Beal, I think, is going to be available. I, I think he's probably going to get moved this offseason, but I wouldn't trade any real assets for that guy because his, his contract is awful. So maybe if they want to do Lowry in a first at most for Beal, I'd, I'd probably do that, but I'm not doing anything more than that, really. Uh, but I just think Miami is clearly one piece away, and I mean an impact piece, not just like another good role player. Because look, Jimmy Butler will be 34 next season and they need to take advantage of this window while they still have him in his prime. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Thank you so much for listening. We've got the NBA draft coming up in just over a week. So I will have another episode coming out in the next week that will be my draft preview. I will do it very similarly to how I did last year in terms of um, picking busts role players and all-stars and just labeling the projected lottery players as one of each based on historical data on how many of each there normally is. So I still need to do some research there, but hoping to have that that one out by early next week. But um, it was a really fun season. Thank you everybody who listened through the 2023 season. Uh, I I seriously really appreciate it and I'm, I'm looking forward to having my second season uh, this year for the 2024 season and recording with you guys. So thanks again for listening and I will talk to you soon.